coming from Judges chapter 7, verses 9 through 18. Again, that's Judges chapter 7, verses 9 through 18. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen? I'm sorry, I'm reading from the wrong chapter. Wrong <laughs> book. Joshua. I knew something wasn't right here. It's okay. It's right. Amen. That is not right. Judges chapter 7. <laughs> Verses 9 through 18. There we go. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Parah, your servant, and you shall hear what they said. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pariah's servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number at the sands that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian in all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them in empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets on every side of the, all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. The, um, the word of God has been read in our hearing. Let's pray that he would, by his grace, apply it to our hearts. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, once again, it is our delight to be brought to the place where we are most needful. That is at the feet of your word. We do ask now that your word would have its effectual way in our hearts. That all that you desire for it to accomplish, it would accomplish right now. That your sweet and yet powerful spirit would so fill this place that not a word would fall upon a deaf ear, but that all would hear, hear and believe, and in believing, be saved. That is our prayer this, this evening, 
that no one would leave this place having not come to know Christ. And then coming to know the Christ but have worshipped him would find him more lovely, more worthy, more desirable than anything this world could possibly afford. So be with us now, Lord, as we go into your word. Pray that you would honor and bless the meditations of our hearts and our minds. For you alone are our Redeemer, our Lord and our Savior. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, we are looking at Judges chapter 7. And we are following the life of Gideon. And we have come to the point now where Gideon is indeed finding his purpose and what God is indeed calling him to and for. But before we get into that, I have a riddle for you. Consider the words and pay close attention, Brother Reggie. And here's the riddle. What is that which we need most and give least? But God needs least and yet gives most. What is that which we need most and give least? On which God needs least, but he gives most. And the answer is patience. Patience. Patience, beloved. I think we ought to marvel. Few things, few things should cause us to marvel as does the patience of God. His willingness, his willingness to, to strive with his people and to endure with grace and kindness the, the failings, the shortcomings, the disobedience of his people is really beyond description. It really is when you, when you think about it. For when you think about the goodness of God, and we always think about the goodness of God, and we always talk about the goodness of God, but the goodness of God is never more on display in our lives when God is being patient with us. When he is being patient with his people. And this really, this is really what we mean when we talk about the goodness of God. This is the goodness of God to us that God is striving patiently with us. Consider, consider the goodness of God and just how patient God has been with you. Consider that this evening. Think about it. J.I. Packer asks us in his book, Knowing God, to think about just that thought. He says, think about this. Think how God has borne with you and still bears with you. 
When so much of your life is unworthy of him and you have so richly deserved his rejection. Think about it. I think we rarely consider what we put God through. We rarely consider because I am convinced that most children have no idea what they put their parents through. How much more true is that concerning our Heavenly Father? We rarely consider what God endures with us. And yet there he is over and over again, enduring with much patience those who often spurn, those who often neglect, and even as the Bible says, despise his goodness. Why? Why? Why does God do that? Why is God Doing that in your life, in my life, in the lives of his people throughout scripture. Why is God doing that? Well, the number one reason is because his name is patience. That's his name. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, when God is revealing the divine name to Moses and he is revealing himself to the children of Israel and how he is to be known to them. The Bible says in Exodus 34 and 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Patience is not just the way God is toward his people. Patience is his name. God is patient. And this is something to wrap our minds around because unlike us, when we talk about the attributes of God, God is his attributes. When you say that Tony is a patient person, and Tony is not, but if you were to say that Tony is a patient person, what you mean is at some point in time, Tony demonstrated patience. But if you'd ask my wife or my children, they would let you know that Tony is not patient all the time. But when the Bible says God is something, it means that God is that all the time. Because patience is his name. The King James says that God is long-suffering. I like that word. It is so descriptive, really, of what patience really is. Patience means to suffer long, to put up with the willingness to suffer up under somebody else's frailties, faults, and even disobedience, and willing to do it for a long, long time. And the Bible says that God with us is long-suffering. I think we do not consider 
what we put our Heavenly Father through. But not only is he patient because it it is his name, we need to also understand that his patience is our salvation. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and, and verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Beloved, this is an important truth. Patience informs our salvation. No one, no one would be saved except that God was patient. There would not be a saved soul in this building except God was patient. And his patience is best demonstrated, Peter said just before that, up in verse 9, in that he is not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to the faith. How long does it take us to come to faith? And how much foolishness and waywardness and disobedience does God endure as we are coming to faith? That's why Peter says, count his patience as your salvation. And this is Demonstrated, beloved, the Bible speaks of this over and over again. You know, the Bible speaks to us concerning the patience of Job, does it not? While it may speak to us concerning the patience of Job, the Bible actually shouts concerning the patience of God. Page after page after page. And Gideon in our text is a prime example of it. God has endured with much patience. Gideon's rebellion and unbelief. And we see here some important principles. Three, I think, in our text that demonstrate and describe for us the patience of God and how that patience is in work, not only in Gideon's life, in Israel's life, but even in your life and mine. And we see three important principles, and they are these. The need for God's patience. The work of God's patience. And the result of God's patience. The need for God's patience. The work of God's patience. And the result of God's patience. Patience. What is the need of need for God's patience? Well, the need for God's patience is our faithlessness. That's why God needs to be patient because we are so faithless. That's what we see in Gideon. You see that? Again, God reiterates his command to Gideon. That same night, the Bible said, the Lord said to him, arise and go against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Doesn't that sound familiar? It was that same night, as we saw last week, that same night when God had trimmed down Gideon's army, down to the 300. 
And he had promised Gideon that with these 300, he was going to deliver Israel from the tyranny of the Midianites. That same night, God says to Gideon, now arise and go. Go into the camp, for I've given it into your hand. Go. What's the problem? Gideon still doesn't believe. He still is afraid. It is obvious, it is obvious from the Lord's marks that Gideon still does not get it. He's still not getting it. He still needs more evidence. He still lacks faith. Has not, think about this as we rehearse again the story of Gideon. Has not God done enough for Gideon? Has not God made himself clear enough to Gideon? Has not God demonstrated his faithfulness sufficiently for Gideon? Of course he has. And here then is, again, the patience of God indescribable and undeserved for rather than rejecting Gideon for his unbelief, God strives with Gideon rather than coming down on Gideon for his unbelief, God helps his unbelief. This is truly amazing. This is truly amazing. I mean, think about it. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how the true and the perfect and the holy and the righteous God does not insist upon immediate results in the lives of his people? This is a, manista- this is a manifestation, really, of his goodness and his love. This should be so instructive to us, beloved. This here, this is love. That God is patient. This is the nature of the gospel. That Christ is patient with us. And therefore, it should instruct us that we, in saying that we love one another, would be patient as well. Here is the the gospel. This is living the gospel out in your life. Living the gospel out in your life is doing unto others as God has done unto you. That's it. Doing unto others as God has done unto you. Has God loved you? Then that is how you ought to love others. Has God been patient with you? Then that is how you ought to respond to others. Has God been giving to you and generous to you? Then that is how you ought to respond to others. The gospel is doing unto others as Christ has done unto you. This is love. This is patience. Beloved, I, I wear quite a few hats, but there's three hats that I wear every waking moment of every day. I'm a pastor, I'm a parent, and I'm a husband. 
Those are the three caps that I wear that I am conscious of every moment of every day. And it is those three areas that I need the patience of God most. And it is also in those three areas that I need to demonstrate patience most. Because the gospel is doing unto others as Christ has done unto me. Don't, don't, don't say you love people if you're not patient with them. Don't say it. Because love is patience. When Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is given the litany of descriptions of what love is, do you know the first thing he says? Love is patient. Love is kind. Why? Because our God's name is long-suffering. And he has suffered long with you in your salvation. And he has loved you with an everlasting love so that he is willing to strive with you in your sin, in your waywardness, and in your disobedience over and over and over and over again. And we dare to get impatient with one another. It's because we have not learned the gospel as we think we have. Here is God striving with Gideon, striving with him over and over and over again. And we have a God who doesn't expect, who isn't insisting upon immediate results because if he did, beloved, no one here would stand. None of us. None of us would stand. That, that, beloved, is the reason why God must be patient, beloved. That is the necessity of God's patience, our faithlessness. And he strives with us. And so it is with Gideon. The reason that God is patient is because Gideon is faithless. But notice then, since Gideon is faithless, notice the work of God's patience, which is our encouragement. You do understand. Look, look at it. Look at it. If the need for God's patience is our faithlessness, the work of his patience is our encouragement because he is in the process of building us up. You lack faith. God doesn't throw you out in the garbage can. He works on you. He works on you to the end of building your faith. That's what he does with Gideon. And just discarding, he works on him. And that is the work of God's patience, our encouragement. Notice, notice how God's patience has not run out with Gideon. 
He's not come to an end with Gideon, but he demonstrates his kindness and goodness by giving Gideon another sign. Excuse me, not another one. Well, this is amazing. Put yourself in Gideon's shoes and remember your own life and how God, by his grace, orchestrates faith in your life by orchestrating events. He has orchestrated faith in your life by orchestrating the events in your life. And the way that God orchestrates our faith is that he orchestrates these events so that, beloved, there are no accidents. There are no accidents. God is orchestrating faith in your life. He is building up your faith. Because he loves you. And he's patient with you. And he's building up your faith. So that we need to understand that we don't live according to random acts of chance. We don't. God is working all things for our good. He is working all things for his glory. For God has an unlimited supply of resources at his disposal to draw us to faith. Unlimited. Notice all the things that he did for Gideon. In chapter 6, he sent him an angel at the beginning of chapter 6 to proclaim to him the word of God. Now you would think that would be enough. But no, Gideon is unbelief. So then he orchestrates the events whereby he allow, he tells Gideon to tear down the worship idol of Baal and his father's heart is turned to God. Another sign. The angel, the turning of his father's heart, and then at the end of chapter 6, the fleece. And then, at the beginning of chapter 7, the army. So here is God, over and over again, orchestrating these events for the building up of Gideon's faith. The angel, his father, the fleece, the army. And Gideon still doesn't believe. And so God speaks to him. In a dream. But not his own dream. But God sends Gideon and Pura into the camp of the Midianite army. It's an amazing thing, beloved. He says, arise, go and take the camp. However, Gideon, if you're still scared, since you're still scared, take your servant Sneak into the camp tonight and you will there hear and you will believe. So what does Gideon do? He and his servant, Pura, they get together and they tiptoe 
down into the valley under the cover of night. Now you got to imagine what they saw. I mean, what they saw was pretty intimidating. Here was an army some 135,000 strong. The Bible says that they were like locusts down in the valley. The camels, the camels they had, they couldn't even number them. I mean, this was a mighty seasoned army, plenty of men and resources and weapons at their disposal. You can imagine as Gideon crept closer and closer to this army, he is saying to himself, see God, I told you, there's no way we're going to take these. I told you. What they saw was indeed intimidating, beloved. But what they heard was encouraging. Why is that important? Because the people of God are told not to live or walk by sight, but we are to live and walk by faith. This is reminiscent, is it not, of another time when God sent out some spies to spy out an army and a land, is it not? When they were first going into, under Moses, they were first going into the promised land. And God sent the spies into the promised land, 12 strong. Among them were Joshua and Caleb. And as they came back with their report, what was the report that the spies gave to Moses? We can't take that. There's giants in that land. There's mighty men in that land, and they make us look like grasshoppers. And here's God sending Gideon and Purah into the Midianite camp. And what did they see? But again, they saw giants. But the issue was not what they saw, beloved. The issue was what they heard. For God sent them into the camp not to see something. He told them, you would hear something. And what did they hear? Beloved, they heard the word of God in the mouth of the enemy. Again, remember, God plays these instruments to the tune of building Gideon's faith. He plays these instruments to the tune of bringing Gideon to faith. So also God has played all of the instruments in your life to the tune of building and bringing you to faith. Instruments that you would have never thought of. This is the faithfulness. This is the goodness. This is the love of God. And they go into the camp. And God had told Gideon, you shall hear what they say. 
And they heard him. They heard, now, now, now get this. Again, there are no accidents. God is orchestrating all these events. Gideon and Pure climb down, creep down, 100,000, 130-some thousand men. They just happen to creep right down at the time that a soldier was having a dream. But not just creep down at that certain time, but just so happened that they would creep upon that soldier. And that soldier would be waking up from his dream and telling the dream to another soldier. Just as Gideon and Pua arrive in earshot. An accident? Of course not. For God is orchestrating these events for the building up of Gideon's faith. Here is the remarkable thing in all of this. And the remarkable thing in all of this is that God promised Gideon that he would hear. And Gideon hears. Now understand that in the Bible... There is a such, there's a such thing as hearing that is of the ears, and then there is a hearing that is of the heart. There's a hearing that is of the ears, and there's a hearing that is of the heart. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 8 reminds us that there are those who have eyes but can't see. There are those who have ears but can't hear. And in fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 gives this reason for why he spoke in parables. He spoke in parable because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Because... There is a hearing that is of the ears, and then there is a hearing that is of the heart. There is a seeing that is of the eyes, and then there is a seeing that comes through the eyes of faith. You know, from time to time, every, every once in a while, Alan will come up to me and he'll say, Did you hear the music this, this, this evening? Did you hear the music last Sunday? He said, We were off. We were just a little off. I said, sound good to me. I don't have ears to hear that. Every now and then my wife will come up to me and she said, did you, did you like the new earrings I was wearing? What earrings? I didn't have eyes to hear. I didn't have eyes to see them. And she's patient with me. There is a hearing that is not of the ears. And there is a scene that is not of the eyes. There is a scene, beloved, that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8. It is seen with the eyes of our heart. 
It is with these eyes that we truly see. It is with these ears that we truly hear the word of the Lord. And when God sends Gideon into the camp of the Midianites, it was now that God was going to assure that Gideon hears. He's going to hear this dream, but he's not only going to hear with his ears, he's going to hear with his heart. And he's going to believe. He's going to believe. Why? Because like so many of us, how often have we, before we came to faith, how often did we hear the gospel but didn't hear the gospel? How often did we hear the words preached about Christ but we never heard Christ? Until the hearing was not with our ears, but the hearing was with our heart. And the hearing that is with our heart is the hearing that breaks forth in belief. Stephen Lungo, in the book, Out of the Black Shadows, he's a, he's a, he's a young boy. He's growing up in, in Rhodesia. Back then it was called Rhodesia, but now it's Mozambique. But he was growing up as a little boy in Rhodesia, ran away from home and joined some street gangs, some violent street gangs. And there was a, an evangelist who was coming to town one night and setting up a big evangelistic tick in his town. And his gang had got together and they were going to go and throw some Molotov cocktails at the evangelistic event. They were going to blow it up and scatter the people and see what they could steal. He goes into the tent and he walks forward, waiting for the sermon to end. By the time that the sermon was over, he had dropped his Molotov cocktail and he was prostrate on the ground because he heard something that he had never anticipated hearing. Something as far as he has concerned, he had never heard before. And it radically changed his life. He became a worldwide evangelist even until this day. Why? Because whereas he was going to that tent meeting to destroy it, God was going there and orchestrating events for bringing him to faith. So he has done with Gideon. So he has done with each of us who are in faith. God, by his grace and loving patience, has orchestrated faith in our life through all the events that many of us thought were accidents. But they were not. They were in the hand of God, bringing us to the place where we would finally hear and hearing believe. That is the work of God's patience. Then what is the result? If the work of God's patience is our encouragement, 
and the need for God's patience is our faithfulness. What is the result? The result of God's patience is our worship. So notice what the Bible says in verse 15. As soon as what? Gideon what? Heard. Wait a minute. Hadn't he heard before? No, beloved. He hadn't heard before. But now, he heard. God told him, when you go down there, <laughs> you're going to hear. And as soon as he heard, what did he do? He worshipped. He worshipped. He worshipped. And here, beloved, is the result of God's patience. God wants just to eventually get it. That's the point. That's why he strives with us. Because he wants us to get it. Because he knows that once we get it, once we finally come to faith, once we finally hear and see the glory and the beauty of Christ, what are we going to do? We're going to worship. That's where worship springs from. That's where God is bringing us. To worship. To worship him. And beloved, I understand that, that it is hard and sometimes it is a difficult journey that God is bringing us on. But God is faithful and he will not stop until he brings you to the point where you believe and you worship. Because he knows that that is that for which you have been created, the worship of him. And you worship. And you know you get it. You know you get it when you worship. That's when you know you get it. And that's when you really, when it clicks. That's when you know that you have grasped the gospel when you worship. That's when you understand that the Bible is not just a collection of stories and facts. But it contains in those words and in those stories and in those facts the power of God to change your life. And when you understand that, when you get it, you worship. You worship. And not just, beloved, the singing of songs. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the singing of songs. I'm not talking about the raising of hands. I'm not talking about the jumping over of pews. I am talking about the sacrifice and the service of our lives. That's when you get it. You get it when you do like Gideon and you arise and you go. That's when you know you get it. When you get up and you say, God, by Christ Jesus has changed me and I just can't fit here anymore. I got to get up. 
And I had to go, this is the proper response to the gospel. It's not just singing. It's going. It's getting up. It's proclaiming. It's making a difference for the sake of Christ. Charles Wesley wrote it so eloquently. He says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, I woke, and the dungeon was aflamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. He finally saw he finally heard. And then what did he say? I rose, went forth, and I followed thee. That's it, beloved. That's how you know you get it. That's what God is working in your life. He's not trying to make you a better singer. He's making you a better worshiper. But it's not about singing. It's about getting up. It's rising up and going forth in his name and in his power. It is seen and applying the gospel to every aspect of your life. But first, first, it is admitting that you're a sinner. That's the first thing. That's the first step to understanding, to coming to faith to rising up. It is admitting that you're a sinner. It is coming to the realization that God has been patiently leading you to this point. Beloved, if you are here this evening and you have never confessed the faith in Christ Jesus, it is no accident that you are here. God has orchestrated the events of even this day so that you would walk through that door and hear these words. Because he has been patiently striving with you over and over and over again. And the first thing is to come and admit that you're a sinner. Come and admit that there is no hope for you outside of Jesus Christ. But in Christ, there is a hope that springs forth unto eternal life and only in him. Hear, hear the word of God. Hear the siren call of Christ. Come unto me, all you are who labor and are heavy laden. Come, and he will give you rest. Come. Hear the word of God. Hear Christ calling you softly and tenderly, calling you. Sinner, sinner, come home. Come home. Poor, wretched, weak, wounded, sinner. Come home. Come home. He has been long-suffering with you, has he not? 
And he has loved you even this day in bringing you here to hear him say, come home. Come home. That's the first thing, beloved. But the second thing is that once you have come home, now live out the gospel. Arise, arise as you have come to faith in Christ. Now arise and go forth. Take the gospel with you. Take it to the boardroom. Take it to the bedroom. Take it. Take it everywhere. Let it govern your education. Let it govern your recreation. Let it govern it all. Let it govern your family. Let it govern your finances. Let it rule over it all. Let the gospel inform not just your marriage, but also your money. All of it. Because those who know Christ and have heard the call, they worship. They worship wherever they go. They worship. Whether it's at home, in the closet, all by themselves, they worship. Whether it's on the way to work, in the car, or on the train, they worship. Whether it's in the boardroom amongst others who may not know Christ or even name the name of Christ, they stand upon Christ and they worship. Whether it's in a neighborhood that is racked with poverty and pain and, and hopelessness, they stand as a light and they worship. Whether it's in a school that is dark, dark with humanistic philosophies, dark with sinful and lustful behavior, they stand as light in darkness and they worship. Because they've heard and they believe. Because this is where God bringing you. And he has patiently done this, beloved. He's patiently done this. And this then defines our mission. The gospel does. Finally, Gideon got it. He finally got it. He finally got it. And he, he rose up. He said, all right, guys, let's go. I've heard it. I've got it. Let's go. Follow me. Excuse me. Gideon says, follow me. Do as I do. Finally, the man of valor has taken on the valor that God had said that he would. Why? Because he finally heard it. He finally got it. And he says, follow me and proclaim for our Lord and for Gideon. For our Lord and for Gideon. When you're going down and you're marching into the valley and they ask you, why are you marching? For our Lord and for Gideon. Now the Lord was the Lord, but Gideon was their captain. My beloved, we know who the Lord is, but who is our captain? So here it is. The Lord is the Lord, but Christ also is our captain. 
So when they ask you, why are you doing what you're doing? What do you say? I do it for Christ. Why do you stand in the midst of a darkness and try to be the light? I do it for Christ. Why do you maintain your celibacy in your singleness when all of the others around you are giving in to lustful temptations? You say, I do it for Christ. Why? Why? Why do you take your money and rather than spending it upon lavish living and luxuries, you give to the work of the ministry and to missionaries and the kingdom coming? And people say, why are you doing that? You say, I do it for Christ. For the sake of Jesus and for the glory of the gospel. I do it all for him because I have finally heard him call. Oh, beloved, I do pray that you would know the patience of God this evening and that even in knowing the patience of God and the love of God, that you would hear the word of God Hear him calling you, arise and go. I, I really am encouraged and I really enjoy the singing that we have in this place. But just because you sing doesn't mean you get it. You get it when you go. When you forsake all and follow Jesus, that's when you know you get it. That's when you know you understand. And that, beloved, is when you worship. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we we all at this moment, I do pray, are convicted by your patience and how you have loved us and how you have strived with us and endured with much long suffering our waywardness and our disobedience. We are convicted, Lord, that we have not in like manner demonstrated such love, patience, and kindness. And yet you have not rejected us, but you have called us once again, even tonight, according to your word, to come and worship you with our lives, with our hearts, with all of our strength. And so, Lord, we do thank you And we do worship you. We do honor you. We do magnify your name. And we do ask that once again you would come by your spirit and empower us to go from here and really, really worship. To show love and kindness and the glory that is the gospel. 
Lord, if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice who, who doesn't know you in the pardon of their sins, even now I pray that you would, by your Spirit, open their ears so they would hear. Open their hearts so they would see. And grant them faith that they would believe. Oh, Father, do that. We pray that you would do that right now, even now. Love us, Lord. Love us all. We thank you for your mercies, how they're new and they never run out. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.